Hi everyone, uh, today I'm going to give a brief overview of three chapters, Ezekiel 27 to 29. Um, chapters 27 and 28 carry on where Sam left off last week, with Ezekiel's prophecies of doom against the city of Tyre. Chapter 29 is a famous chapter in which Ezekiel launches the first of what will be several prophecies of doom against Egypt. So let's start with Tyre. And first, some context. The city of Tyre was a city-state of the maritime and mercantile Phoenicians who populated the coast from what is now Syria all the way down to what is now the city of Akko near Haifa and who established trade routes as distant as Carthage in Tunisia and Spain. The Phoenicians are perhaps underrecognized as an ancient empire of importance. They have a long and incredibly proud history at the cradle of humanity, with claims to be the inventors of the alphabet, the concept of modern trade, and even the color purple. Just like Tyre, other Phoenician cities are amongst the most continually inhabited in the world, including Beirut, Sidon, Carthage, and Byblos, the home of the book, an original source of the word Bible. Their position on the map between Greece, Mesopotamia and Egypt, combined with their seafaring abilities, brought the Phoenicians into contact with most of the ancient world. And as a set of independent city-states, rather than as an empire per se, they tended to peacefully trade and generally maintain good relationships with those they encountered. This, of course, included the Jews, and we might remember Hiram, the king of Tyre, who was described as a lover of David and supported Solomon in building the first, first temple. So today, in chapters 27 and 28, we find Ezekiel issuing the latest of his laments, his, his mourning songs, this time for Tyre and its king. First, he described the beauty of the city, surrounded by the ocean, the glory of her wood and linen, the wisdom of her sailors, her unmatched wealth, the homage paid to her by the other nations, bringing gifts of precious stones and expensive clothes, her role in trade, including with the nations of Judah and Israel, and with Damascus and Arabia and Sheba and all. But, says Ezekiel, Tyre had become too full from all the wealth that was brought to her. So full, in fact, that like an overburdened ship, she was sinking. And when that ship finally does sink, the world around her will cry out and wail. If the ship Tyre will be sunk, why ever go out to sea at all? The nations will mourn the loss of their marketplace, and the city will never reappear. Ezekiel then in chapter 28 turns to the king of Tyre. The king, he decries, is arrogant and considers himself a god on earth. He has made a throne representing himself ruling over heavens and earth. He considers his great wealth the result of his own impervious wisdom. And God, through Ezekiel, is enraged and declares that for this arrogance, the king will die many deaths. God then entreats Ezekiel to mourn over the king, perhaps remembering the contribution of the people of Tyre to the temple. But he makes clear that it is this king's corruption that is the tipping point for a people whose wealth and arrogance has led to its downfall. They thought they were like gods, impervious to history. Rabbi Jonathan Sachs reflects on the tradition of the great 14th century Islamic thinker, Ibn Haldun, who to suggest that on this point, every urban civilization becomes vulnerable when it grows decadent from within. And every civilization that may have been once proud and mighty as an empire ruling over its region, will stumble and fall when ruled by the overmighty, the arrogant and the corrupt. In mourning Tyre's king, Ezekiel then describes fire consuming the city and its great riches until it's nothing but ashes.
Ezekiel then goes on to describe God's plan for the neighbouring city of Sidon, against whom he will bring great plague and destruction. So here at the end, we come to the end of chapter 28. And indeed, the Phoenicians do soon fall foul of the shifting, shifting sands of empire that, we hear, that are here prophesied. The Persians under Cyrus the Great swept through the region just 60 or so years after Ezekiel makes these prophecies and turns the cities of Tyre, Sidon, Beirut and all into vassal states of their empire. Their wealth and independence never to return and the old city of Tyre eventually destroyed by Alexander the Great 200 years later. Moving on to chapter 29, we find another arrogant ruler against whom Ezekiel prophesies doom. This chapter is the first of seven prophecies from Ezekiel against Egypt and its pharaohs. The chapter opens with a timestamp, placing us with Ezekiel at 587 BCE, the year before the Babylonian destruction of Jerusalem. Archaeologists tell us that the pharaoh at that time was Apres, or um, as referred to in Jeremiah chapter 44, Hopra. You can see his head in the Louvre in Paris, if we're probably online or forever allowed back there. In this chapter, Ezekiel decries Pharaoh's hubris as a mighty sea monster who he imagines claims My Nile is my own, I made it for myself. But rather than rule over the river as the god-like character he claims to be, Pharaoh, in this instance as sea, snake, sea serpent, sea snake, is hooked with all the other fish in the river and torn from the water. The Midrash Tanakhuma elaborates on Pharaoh's claim to divinity. It says, The Holy One said, because he made himself out to be a god, he was told he was nothing in the world. Egypt, um, according to Ezekiel, will, is then to be abandoned in the desert. And this he, claim, he frames as being punishment for, being, as a, for Egypt being a reed staff to Israel. A staff made of reeds is unable to be leaned on for strength. In other words... Uh, this is Egypt's punishment for being an unreliable ally to Judah in the rebellions against Assyria and later Babylon. Isaiah then turns Pharaoh's words directly against him as he declares that the desolation that God will bring on the land because it is not Pharaoh that controls the Nile, it is God and he will cause it to dry up 40 years for a full generation, the same period of wrath that Ezekiel set out for Judah back in chapter 4. God will then disperse Egypt and scatter them among the lands, and it will become a lowly kingdom. Just like the Phoenicians, in just a few decades, this devastation was to some degree to materialise, with the onset of the new regional power in Persia. The 26th dynasty of Apres was the last native dynasty to rule Egypt, before Cyprus, Darius, Cyrus, not Cyprus, Cyrus, Darius and Xerxes brought Persian dominion. Then in verse 17 of chapter 29, we get a second timestamp, 17 years later, and we come to the piece that Sam mentioned last week, in which God reports that Nebuchadnezzar has tried and failed to conquer Tyre and is here given Egypt to plunder instead. The chapter ends with the downfall of Egypt being, being framed as a blossoming horn of strength for Israel, um, which Rashi interprets to refer to the strength afforded Israel by the concurrent rise of Persia, um, under whom, of course, the uh, Judeans are allowed to return to the land 40 or so years later. Radak says that this reference to the blossoming horn of strength actually refers to the birth of Cyrus himself, who was instrumental, ultimately, in rebuilding the temple. So what do we take from these three verses 
um, these uh, this overview of the arrogant rulers prophesied against by Ezekiel. Well, I think it brings me back to um, the commentary of Rabbi Saxon Ibn Haldun, and maybe uh, something to consider for our own day. How can a uh, successful, wealthy, powerful land be led in such a way that it does not disintegrate from within, that it maintains its strength, not just in terms of its uh, worldly uh, goods and military might, but also in terms of its identity and strength from within. Um, Perhaps a lesson for all of us, uh, wherever we're sitting in our 99 group today. Have a great week.